Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Tonight, we're going to talk about Exodus 17. Uh, water from the rock and the victory over the Amalekites and the link between the two. We're going to do this in parts because there are two parts to chapter 17 and I thought, well, they're really not connected. But they are. And we're going to see how they're connected and, and why that's important. Um, but what we're going to do is, uh, you may want to take your Bibles, or take a pew Bible, uh, because even though I'm going to have scripture on the screen as I'm talking, I'm actually going to read through the first part, and then read through the second part. So, uh, you may want to do that, uh, to follow along with me. Okay? <clears throat> okay, the first part is uh, Exodus 17, and we're going to go through... Um, verse 7. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, why is it that you've brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb and you shall strike the rock and the water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? So, it's a familiar story. It's like a rerun on television, right? Or, or worse, it's sort of like a, it's like a story that you might see on TV, an episode that is very much like an episode you saw a couple seasons ago. But it's, it's really not. It's actually, it's development of a theme and a disturbing one. We see here, uh, Exodus 1 and 2, it begins with, with the Lord bringing them to this place called Rephidim and there's no water, okay? And the people need to, to drink water, so... You know, we talked about this before. There's a right way to, to state your need and there's a wrong way to state your need. Anybody who has children 
We know what it's like with children who state their needs. I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, and they may simply come and let you know it's what they need, or they may rant about it. At least that's the case with my children, and at least that's how I remember myself being. And that's how the children of Israel were here. They weren't coming up with humility and saying, Moses, you know, we're thirsty, our water reserves are low. Could, could you really go to the Lord and ask him to bring water because we've seen his mighty works? No, they say, give us water that we may drink. And Moses, he knows about this. Because they always come to him. And they say, well, you know, Moses, why this? Moses, why that? Moses says, why, why do you tempt the Lord? Not just, okay, you're coming at me, but it's not just me you're coming at, it's also the Lord, because the people never say anything directly about the Lord. I, I understand about that. I was, for those of you who don't know, I, I was raised in a church that in many ways was similar to this church, um, although it was, a, you know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, that time span. I don't remember blaming God or accusing God of anything directly. It doesn't mean that I didn't have a bad attitude about something. Okay. I can see myself sometimes in the children of Israel. I could see myself, uh, we, we talked about manna last time I, I taught. I could see myself as one of those people taking extra manna on like a Tuesday night. Because, well, you know, maybe we'll have some manna on Wednesday, maybe not. And then come Wednesday morning, yeah, there's manna on the ground, and, and whatever I had stored smelled terrible. That would be me. So the people here had a bad attitude. But it gets worse. Three and four, the people thirsted for water and the people complained against Moses and said, why have you brought us here out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Moses, why did you bring us to the Red Sea so that we could be killed by the Egyptians? Moses, did you bring us out here to starve? We didn't want to come out here to starve. We would have been fine in Egypt. You know, we had meat in Egypt. We had so much meat that we had these pots whose main purpose was to hold meat. That's how much meat we had. It's a theme. It happens again and again and again with people who have seen tremendous miracles, huge miracles, not little miracles. I mean, you know, some of us can say, yes, there was a miracle I saw it in my life. No, we're talking about giant hail that's, that's falling elsewhere and not on us, a river turning to blood, um, being able to walk across the sea on dry ground. And yet, they're doing this, as if the God that was all-powerful before is suddenly powerless now. And Moses is actually getting a little scared. He's wondering if maybe they're going to, you know, kill him. So he cries out to the Lord, and the Lord says, Go before the people and take some elders with you, witnesses, and take the rod that you struck the river with during the plagues. Sometimes Moses would strike the river, and things would happen like, the river might turn to blood. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. So he did that. And it happened. 
And he called the name Masa and Meribah because of the contention of the Lord, uh, contention of the children of Israel, because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, that might have not have been something that they said to Moses, but it might have been something that they said to each other. And the name of the place, this is something new too, because last time, um, if I remember correctly, it was Mara, because, which meant bitter because the water was bitter, they named the place. And then um, that was when Mo, God said to Moses, take a tree and throw it into uh, the water, like throwing any kind of tree into the water would make water drinkable, but it was a miracle. That's why it was a miracle. And they called that place bitter because of the water. Here, masa means testing. So God's being testing. And Meribah is quarreling, which is what they were doing with Moses. I could spend time talking about the attitude of the children of Israel. It is referred to in other parts of scripture, but I am not going to do it tonight because it hasn't gotten bad enough yet. It's going to. Like in the same way, if I would, with a child who might say something that they need, and I'm going to give it to them, if they keep up the behavior, eventually I'm going to have to deal with that behavior. That's what's going to happen here with the people of Israel. Okay. So far, they've had the bad attitude about things that they needed, and they get what they need, and there are no consequences for their attitude. It's not going to go on forever. But for now, they're getting what they want. And that's part one. So we're going to go to part two. We're going to pick up in verse eight. Now Amalek came and fought in Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner, for he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. This is something new. 
they're attacked by a people, Amalek. Now we know that the children of Israel are going into Canaan and they're going to take the land that's there and they're going to take it from the residents who live there. Now the, most of the people who live in Canaan um, are, well, Canaanites. They came from the family tree of, Shem, of Ham and then Noah. The Israelites are from a different branch of the, that family. They're from Noah's son, Shem. So they have a different lineage. Um, they are ethnically different. I don't know how much different they looked, but they were ethnically different. Um, Amalek, however, not really in Canaan, and kind of related to the Israelites. Um, I'm going to go back to Genesis 36, 9 to 12. And this is the genealogy of Esau, the father of the Edomites in Mount Seir. These are the names of Esau's sons. Eliphaz, the son of Ada, the wife of Esau, and Ruel, the son of Basemath, the wife of Esau, and the sons of Eliphaz were Taman, Omar, Zepho, Getham, and Kenaz. Now, Timnah was the concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bore Amalek to Eliphaz. And these were the sons of Ada, Esau's wife. Now, are we sure that this is the Amalek that you get the Amalekites from? Not completely. But in the genealogies, they would they, they list lots of different names, but they would not often pause to point out a name and off, do a couple sentences for that name because that was a notable person. Amalek was a notable person. So um, m many biblical scholars believe that Amalek is the father of the Amalekites, and, and I, I buy into that. And if that's the case, if they knew who these people were, they hated them because in their family history, Israel, who was known as Jacob before that, stole the blessing from Esau. And some would say they stole the birthright too, which really wasn't the case. Esau didn't really care about the birthright, but um, they stole the blessing, so I'm sure at some point it turned into, well, he stole everything from my from from our father Esau. So that would be reason to hate them. And to have the knowledge that they are somehow considered themselves to be uh, the chosen from the line of Abraham. If the Israelites are chosen of Abraham, that means the Amalekites are not. That would be another reason to hate the Israelites. I don't know if the Amalekites knew the, that these were Israelites or if they just knew that they were a bunch of people traveling from out of Egypt and something had happened in Egypt and, and here's this large group of people who have stuff. Let's go take their stuff. Because they were raiders. Their history was that of doing a lot of raiding and taking stuff. They weren't necessarily going to conquer and hold land that any, anywhere in Scripture, but they, they certainly would come and they would take stuff and carry off people as slaves. That was kind of what they did. 
Well, let's go back. Um, I'm going to go back to um, 17, 8 to 11 here. Um, I want to point some things out where it says, Now Amalek came and fought against with Israel at, in Rephidim. It wasn't a lightning direct attack. If it were, you wouldn't have time for this kind of communication. If there was a crowd of men that they were like attacking us broadside, Moses isn't going to calmly go over to Joshua and say, Joshua, choose some men and, and we'll, let's go out and fight those guys. No, 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 no. It was, it was different. And I'm going to show you a scripture later on to show why. But um, they were actually sort of sending people out to attack different parts of the rear. And Moses probably had some men keeping an eye in the front, in the rear, and on the sides. Uh, just it's a practical thing to do. And uh, I'll, I'll kind of go on about that in a bit. Uh, it does make sense. So once word got back that, that you had these strangers coming and it looks like they were attacking, they, it looks like they had bad intent, and it looks like there may be more of them coming, there was time to go out and go get everyone they could. Well, they didn't have an organized force, did they? They left Egypt, okay, and they had some swords. They had swords because they also had jewelry and they had a bunch of other things because before they left, uh, they went, and at the end of the plagues, and before they left, they went to their neighbors in Egypt, and they said, hey, we need some stuff, can you help us out? And the Egyptian families were, were more than willing to help them out, because all these bad things have been happening, it's like, well, maybe if I give some stuff to them, uh, then, then we won't have anything else bad happen to us. So it's like, here, take this sword, take this jewelry, go ahead, oh, here's some extra clothes, do you have enough? Okay, so they ended up with a lot of stuff, but they also had some swords. And if they, people who didn't have a sword maybe had a staff they could swing. And it seems like Joshua had a rough idea of who had the swords, who could fight, and he was going to collect them as quickly as he could. And it sounds like they had some time. And then Moses says something on, I'm going to go stand at the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. The rod of God. Well, that's what ties the first story and the second story together. In the first story, the rod of God, Moses used it, struck the rock, water came out. Okay, it wasn't the rod, it was God. But the rod was symbolic. I'm surprised Hollywood hasn't done a movie about the rod. You know, like Raiders of the Lost Ark, it'd be like the rod of Moses and whoever found the rod would have tremendous power and could conquer the world. Eh, maybe not. But um, the rod became symbolic of God's power. So Moses was taking this very rod that they had seen used in yet another miracle, not the first miracle, but just another in a series of miracles, and he's going to go stand at the hill, and he's going to, Go up with the rod of God in my hand. Doesn't say he's going to do anything with it. Just says he's going to go take it. So jo and picking up a ten. So Joshua did it as Moses said. He and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill, 
And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand that Amalek prevailed. I don't think that the people who were doing the fighting noticed whether or not Moses had his staff up or Moses had his staff down because they were too busy trying not to die. These were men who were not used to being in a fight. These were men who were slaves. They may have brought swords with them. It didn't mean they knew how to use them, at least not yet. So there they are doing that. But other people, maybe some of the elders and some other people, may have been at a place where they had a line of sight of the battle and they had a line of sight on Moses and they start to notice, oh, he's got the rod up and we're winning. And then he, oh, looks like he's taking a break. Okay, well, what's happening over here? The Amalekites are suddenly, it looks like they're pushing him back. Oh, 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 Moses has got the staff up again. Ah, good, well, we're winning. It's like it's somehow related, like maybe God is helping them fight. Oh, oh, well, well who's going to keep his staff up? Oh, wait a minute. It looks like they're sitting him down and they're getting around him and, and, and they're going to hold his arm up. And that's what they did. And, and I thought to myself, gee, I should try to like, go and pick up a broom or pick up you know, a shovel and try to hold it over my head and see how long I could hold it over my head. And then I decided I didn't want to do that. Um, so if you want to, feel free. You know. But you did like get the shovel, hold it over your head, and turn on a movie. Yeah. And... Uh, and then see how, long, how far you make it into the movie before you have to uh, switch hands, and then how long before you really have to take a break and maybe get some help. And Moses, you know, he's, he's over 80 years old. I mean, he may have, he lived 120, so maybe he looked like he was, uh, was a 60-year-old in good shape. I don't know. But he needed help. So you had uh, Aaron and this guy named Hur, who was just an elder, um, just somebody who was there, uh, one of the is probably one of the leaders. Um, special for me because I I read through the Old Testament when I was a kid, and I I retained bits of information, so I was sort of like Bible trivia guy. And I do remember once, like in my church, we had this trivia contest, and I got this one. It's like, who held up the staff, you know, the rod of Moses during, when they were fighting the Amalekites? And and I I, I remember the name her. I was like, whoa! I, I wish I'd been as good at remembering other parts of scripture and applying them to my life when I was young, but, you know, at least I remembered it. Um, and that's, that's her role, and it may not have seemed much, but it was important because um, keeping that rod up was important somehow. And I don't think anybody, I, Moses may not have even known it. But the people knew it. I believe that they saw it, and the elders saw it at least, that God had something to do with winning this fight. So... And now we're at the point where 12, Moses' hands become heavy, so they took a stone and they put it under him, so, and he sat on it. So he could sit. He didn't have to stand. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. They had their first fight, and it was a defensive one, and they weren't ready for it. And a lot of them didn't even know how to fight yet. They would. And, and I, 
when I was young, I wondered, well, how did they learn how to fight? And then I'm watching the mil- military history, and they were talking about um, Moses and the children of Israel. And a lot of times when they're dealing with biblical subjects, that they say stuff that I don't agree with. But this made sense. It's like, well, no, Moses was raised in the Egyptian royal household, and if you were a male in the royal family, you were militarily trained. And so Moses received military training, and he was, in his, he was 40 when he fled Egypt. So he had all that knowledge. So even if he remembered only the basics of what he learned, he could have helped uh, take the men in Israel and, and teach them how to use a sword and teach them some rudiments of how to fight in formation and to be organized. And, and I think that's what did happen, but that had not happened yet. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. What have we learned here? We've learned that there's a book and it already exists. And this is the first time that anybody in the Bible um, is being as referenced as writing something down. And it would make sense that Moses would do that because Moses was highly educated and literate. Certainly he knew um, Egyptian hieroglyphics, whatever hieroglyphics they used at that time. He probably was capable of learning um, other writing um, that wasn't Egyptian. That's not a stretch. So whatever language he was using um, probably wasn't hieroglyphics. It was probably something that turned into, Hebrew, into what we know today as Hebrew. Um, but he wrote something down in this book that previously existed. So we know that there's a book. And it was about Amalek. And Amalek does make appearances. But I wanted to share with you, before I get to more about Amalek, just about um, a reference in Deuteronomy about this event. Deuteronomy 25, 17 to 19. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear, when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around in the land which your God has given to you to possess as an inheritance that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven you shall not forget. And that's where we know that they first attacked by attacking the rear and attacking the stragglers. It wasn't this big, vicious assault that they didn't have time for. Um, Because of the way that they were sort of probing and attacking little parts uh, of the body of people that were traveling, that's why they had time. More about the Amalekites. In Numbers 14, 
they joined with the Canaanites to attack Israel at Hormah. In Judges 3, they joined with Moabites to oppress Israel. Oppressing, they, they may not have conquered the territory, but they either made them pay tribute or they just came in whenever they felt like it. And it's like, oh, I think it's harvest time in Israel. Let's go get some food. It's something like that. Um, and the Amalekites, being raiders, thought that was a great idea. And they were willing to join up with anybody who was going to go up against Israel. Judges 6, joined with the Midianites to oppress Israel. See, there's a pattern of behavior. The Amalekites have it out for Israel. Eventually, though, once Israel was a nation, God instructed Samuel to go tell King Saul to attack it and destroy it. And he mostly did, not completely, which was a problem. And it was one reason why King Saul wasn't king anymore. And they had a king named King Agag. There's a story behind it. He did get killed during this event, but Samuel Samuel was the one who did it, not Saul. Saul was going to let him live. And apparently, uh, he didn't complete the job. There are some Amalekites we know that, uh, that lived after that, and some members of the royal family that we know lived after that. And here's why. In 1 Samuel 30, you have the, some remaining Amalekites who are doing what they do best, raiding. And they raided a city called Ziklag. And this is when David was active and he had his mighty men and he was going doing mighty men things, fighting. And they weren't in Ziklag, so the Amalekites came, took the stuff, took the women, took the children. And, and um, David had to go back and uh, first seek God, but then eventually... He went back and he attacked the Amalekites and took back his, his, his people and, and his stuff. In 1 Chronicles 4, the remaining Amalekites in Israel were killed during the time of King Hezekiah. So finally, as, in, you know, as a people, they're wiped out. Almost. Okay, most of you here I think we're um, present when Pastor Vinny went through uh, Esther. And if you didn't, it's a good listen. It's on the, on, the, on the website or iTunes or various ways you can listen to it. And uh, he told the story. And there was a, a man named Haman the Agagite, who was of the line of Agag, the remaining Amalekites, but they didn't call themselves Amalekites anymore. They called them Agagites because they, they were all descended from that, that person. But uh, between um, his anger at Mordecai the Jew and probably knowing who um, the Jews were in relation to who he was, um, he tried to, to get the Jews exterminated and he ended up getting exterminated himself, and that's the end of any mention of the Amalekites as a people. So what God said would happen did happen. It just took a while. We got a couple takeaways here. First of all, sometimes God gives me what I need in spite of my attitude. It doesn't justify or excuse my attitude. That's our takeaway. Um, Have I been guilty of this as an adult? Yes, I have. 
God's given me what I need and I realized it afterwards and, and I'm repenting because, yeah, I got what I wanted. But my attitude wasn't right. So God gave it to me out of his love and patience rather than um, it's okay. The ends justify the means. My behavior must not have been that bad. No, it was. And, and that, from the second story, sometimes God will help us while acting on a situation. The Israelite men couldn't have come after that and said, hey, yeah, we, we beat them. Of course we did. They had no idea of what they were doing. They fought as hard as they could. They were swinging the sword, hoping they could hit an Amalekite, not themselves or the, guy or the Israelite next to them, hoping that they weren't going to get stabbed themselves or shot with an arrow. You know, with no training like that, you're trying to focus on the people in front of you. You don't even know what's going on around you, or at least that's how it would be with me. So they came out of that situation, and I think they knew, the men knew, the people knew, that they had fought and done the best they could, but their best was not going to be good enough. God stepped in and helped them, gave them endurance, gave them speed and strength, maybe made the Amalekites... Uh, lose their nerve. And in the same way, we may be in a situation where we're doing things and we need God's help. Maybe it's not going to be enough. Um, It would be a mistake to finish that and say, well, you know, I got that done. Well, I'm a self-made man, self-made woman. I got it covered. We don't always have it covered. Maybe we have it covered sometimes, but there are situations, and God makes sure we have situations that that we aren't ready for. You know, I mentioned my dad. He's going through one of those things right now. He's a Christian. He's almost 80. He's been very active. He He was working in an Ace Hardware store. I hope he doesn't get mad for me talking about him, but I'm not saying anything bad. He fell and he injured his hand, and now his hand is a claw, and he's in pain. And, and maybe, you know, with this last procedure, um, God's going to allow him to, to have the pain to recede so he can do the physical therapy and regain the use of his hand. But he won't be able to say, well, you know, yeah, I got hurt, but I had the procedure, then I did the physical therapy, and it's okay now. Because he, he's going through that uncertainty of not knowing whether or not it's going to happen, what's going to happen. So I'm praying that he does come out the other end and he's got use of his hand again. He is right-handed and it's his right hand that is injured. And um, it would be a mistake for him to say, well, you know, I, I got it done. You know, I just needed a couple procedures. Then I went to the physical therapy and look at, I'm fine. It's going to happen to us. No matter if you're a new Christian or if you're a mature Christian, God's going to throw something at you you don't know if you're going to be able to handle it. And um, I pray that when that happens to me and that when that happens to you, that your response is, I made it through, Lord. I did the best I could, but thank you because I'm not sure I could have done it without you. As a matter of fact, I'm sure I couldn't have. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation 
from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.